0: to the Global Business School Network podcast. I'm Rob Vember. In this episode, we continue to look back at our Talent for Africa forum. Convened by GBSN and its first corporate member, Ecobank Academy, this virtual forum was born out of the belief that no sector, business, government, education or non-profit can make meaningful progress alone, especially in such an incredibly diverse, complex and dynamic environment as Africa. This virtual forum highlighted the importance of leadership, management and entrepreneurship across sectors and across the continent. The forum aimed to explore the challenges of building education and development capacity and aligning it with the needs of a rapidly changing continent. These conversations were designed to review new opportunities for innovation and collaboration, especially across business and business schools, to overcome these challenges. In this session of the series, it was my pleasure to host a panel on Powering Digital Transformation. I will now welcome our uh, panelists and welcome them to turn on their cameras. And uh, as I introduce you to them one at a time, their their bios have been made available on the website, so I won't go on too long. But just as a brief introduction, Miriam Zairey leads the CIF Innovation Funds Initiative in the Maghreb region, investing in innovative startups and tech-enabled SMEs based in that region. Prior to joining CEIF in 2017, Miriam spent more than 15 years in private equity in Europe and in Africa. From 2002 through 09, she acted as investment director at Montague Private Equity. Following her experience in private equity, Miriam became an entrepreneur and co-founded two companies in Morocco active in the agribusiness business sector. During her entrepreneurial journey, Miriam felt the hardship of local entrepreneurs and became deeply involved in the entrepreneurial ecosystem to bring solutions and foster uh, greater cooperation with other entrepreneurs. Miriam is the president of the CGEMS Gems Commission, which is the Moroccan Employers Organization in charge of startup and entrepreneurship private sector initiatives in the country. Miriam, a warm welcome to you. Thank you so much for making the time to join us today. Thank Philip you Figo, for a, You're more than welcome. Philip Figo is a technology, data and public policy expert. He's the director for Africa for the Thunderbird School of Global Management, of course, members of GBSN. Philip is also a technical advisor at the Office of the Deputy President on Data, Innovation, and Open Government, recognized by Apolitical as one of the world's 100 most influential people in digital government in 2018. He's a member of the World Economic Forum Global Futures Councils on Global Public Goods for the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Philip, welcome to you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Last but by certainly no means least, I leave him for last because he's the person who's currently geographically closest to me uh, in Johannesburg as I come to you from Cape Town today. Kazito Okachuku is currently the executive head of Sea Africa, a research and development firm in Johannesburg, South Africa, that supports businesses venturing into African markets. He's an MBA graduate. And has traveled and worked with key public and private firms in more than 30 African countries. He's the co founder of the uh, Center for African Youth Entrepreneurship, a nonprofit organization that facilitates entrepreneurship in high schools and universities. Kazito is also the managing director of Gen South Africa and the co chair of Gen Africa, leading the development of the global entrepreneurship network throughout the continent. Thank you so much, Kazito, for making time uh, for us today. So this is going to be a broad ranging conversation. Unfortunately, the constraints and limits of time, uh, we won't necessarily be able to dig too deep into the weeds, but certainly uh, our our panelists have been asked to dig deep into their their experience of working on the continent and engaging on the continent as we try and highlight some of uh, both the the struggles and the opportunities that come from them as it relates to digital transformation and in particular thinking of it in in the terms and in the sense of the talent that Africa needs. How do we better bolster that talent? So, uh, Philip, I'll start with you as the, the policy expert, uh, looking from the kind of bird's eye, high level view, where we are versus where we need to go. Just how stark and how big is that gap?
1: Yeah, I think, <laughs> and thank you so much for having me in, in this discussion. And I think, uh, as we know, policy is always the enemy of innovation. Maybe that's it's, it's a good frame for that. Um, and, and simply because um, how, how policy is framed in the continent has always been within the old kind of echelons of, of ministries, department, agencies. And because technology innovation is no longer an ICT issue, uh, that becomes a challenge on how policymakers can think around how to be agile and, and, and therefore build policies that encourage skilling and upkilling up within this fourth industrial revolution. And so for me, the gap one is a cultural gap. Uh, simply how policymakers understand this whole environment. The second piece of course, is even the skills and the skilling within policy and policymakers. Um, Because at at the moment, there's not necessarily um, an an environment within which policymakers can be trained to understand that technology has gone beyond the the sexual perspective, but more or less uh, impacts how we live, learn, and work, uh, and mostly how we communicate. And so for me, that's, that's a problem. Uh, the third piece, of course, is, is, is demography. Uh, <laughs> we are a young continent. Um, the demography is 19.7. So you have policymakers who are slightly older. Let me say slightly, being very generous about the slightness of it. <laughs> and then a, a generation that is very much young. And so there's, there's a challenge in terms of that intergenerational dialogue of them understanding the needs of the continent, where the continent is going.
0: And- Added to that is the fact I would imagine that so the age difference in terms of who the policymakers are and who we're trying to bring into the systems and, and, and who we're trying to get to take advantage of, of technology and innovation and to be innovative is surely the infrastructure gap that exists because we're, we're looking to to train people and create talent for the future, but doing so where there is such a chasm of the actual infrastructure that we need for that future. And so we're having to do this dance of doing two things at one time, training for the future, but also making sure that we as quickly as possible get to a point with infrastructure where that infrastructure is in place. Would you say that's accurate, Philip?
1: Yeah, it's accurate, but I, I, and we'll talk about infrastructure, again, I'll talk about the culture, right, so how, how this policy or the people I, 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 I advise basically understand infrastructure is understand brick and mortar, right, so the, the, the understanding is brick and mortar, and if you look at the investments within African continent, it's been the same dams, the same roads, it's not necessarily broadband, it's not necessarily internet, it's not necessarily data, it's not necessarily power or energy. And it's not necessarily an infrastructure that can skill people for, for the current economy. So the infrastructure is still modeled around the linearity of how, of how you access a job. Yet the, 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 the current context dictates how you skill and therefore how, how you can be agile in terms of responding to the jobs that do not exist. Because we know now that um, the old infrastructure is training people for the old jobs. These jobs Will have gone um, in the next two, three years, right? So you know the World Economic Forum, of course, is talking about uh seventy-five million of these jobs that are declining. The current infrastructure is about training accountants, administrators, you know, um, business analysts, yet jobs of the future, data analysts, AI, machine learning specialists. The current infrastructure is not producing those types of skills. And those are the jobs that we and those are the skills that we need.
0: And Kizito, in your in your work then with with high school students and students for university i'm I'm fairly certain you're going to concur and tell me that that's what you're seeing right The, the the challenge in terms of training for the jobs of not even tomorrow but you know five years from now as opposed to those people currently in the system who because of all these challenges are being trained for now is that accurate and, how, and how, how, do you, how do you then overcome that when you're working with these, these students who are currently in a system of higher education or even at a high school uh, level?
2: Yeah, thanks Rob and thanks to the listeners. I think the challenge we face on the continent is that we have 80% of our labor force that are between 15 and 24 years old. And these 80% also do not have uh, the required skills to meet the demands in the market. And I think um, 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 the challenge that we currently face is how do we build these skills? How do we equip the young people with these skills that are needed for the market? And I think um, there is still a gap in the market. I mean, there was a report done by um, IFC, the World Economic Forum, which was looking at that Sub-Saharan Africa will need around 230 million jobs, you know, that will require digital skills by 2030. if you look at number of young people that are in the continent, number of young people with our jobs versus the jobs that we need to build by 2030. And you see there's a big chasm between these two. The key thing is how do we ensure we equip these young people? So we have a lot of young people around, they're keen to work, they're young, 15 to 24, but um and um, they, they can meet the job in the market, you know and I think the key thing is how do we now train them how do we equip them with the skills that they will need to be able to meet the demand that is currently in the market and even in education side of things you see that the traditional way of schooling is still is still there and is um, even though there is some element of digital skills that are coming in, into the education space but we haven't and um, we we haven't seen that a lot and I think more and more we also need to think of schools to say how do we school young people that are 15 to 24 years old to ensure that they meet these skills in the market
0: so I, I'm going to push you slightly to try and answer your your, your or offer a, a suggestion of answering your the own question that you just posed is how do we skill these people you know and I granted there's no one one answer or one easy answer but you know what is the direction that you're thinking we're going to get the most bear the most fruit from
2: yeah, so I'll look at it from different angles. I mean, um, and there are different stakeholders, or so I will call them the agents, agents of socialization. here. Uh, the first one will be the the, the government. So the policy makers, you know, have we really responded enough? I mean, uh, Philip also mentioned on that to say we're talking of this big project in dance and so on, but a lot of people don't have talent. So. How do we ensure that the policy aspect responds to the need in the market? So, that is the first one. So, talking to our policy stakeholders. The second one will be looking at schools, right? Schools should also, you know, um, a friend sent me a butterfly and was showing me the names uh, around the various uh, parts of the butterfly and so on and say, um, when you were busy learning these names in school, we are busy learning digital skills, you know? <laughs> and you look at that to say that, so today's, I'm not saying that it's not important, but today's uh, school also needs to think differently. It needs to think what, what, is, what are young people needing to learn? Where do they learn it and when do they learn it and how do they learn it? So that also needs to change at this point in time. Um, and then you think of funders, private sector, because private sector getting involved also helps to meet the demand of this. It helps actually them investing in training these young people, helps them with the with their jobs to in, in their companies, help them to address skills shortage in their companies, and so on. So there are different stakeholders in this, and I think these various stakeholders playing a role to be able to achieve this, will be critical.
0: Have- Miriam, private equity is being being invoked, so i I'm, I must come to you. From your perspective, and when you're looking at at working with these various uh, entrepreneurs, what from your vantage point, what is the skills gap? Is all of this you know ringing true to you? It, it, are there things that we've ground we've not covered yet that you think perhaps are, are easier wins, or even the difficult ones? What is your view on on From what you're observing, the skills that we're missing in terms of training more entrepreneurs and creating that environment and that space conducive to production
3: that what is very important for us is that we are all facing the same uh, um, challenge in terms of development and having a sustainable and inclusive development uh, the challenge of job creation and our outdated in fact uh, development uh, let's say uh, models uh, of our economies and today everyone agreed that uh, innovation and talent are the key pillars, in fact, for the new development model. And the real issue that we have, uh, we are facing today, is that uh, talent, in fact, is very difficult not only to attract but to retain in our continents. So the real issue that we had, uh, as as investors, is that everyone is talking about the brain drain uh, towards uh, Europe or US uh, for engineer, but we forget this brain drain, which is more important of entrepreneurs that are looking for more favorable legal tax uh, and regulatory uh, frameworks uh, for them, and also financial framework. So today, the reality is that uh, Africa have ta- has, has talents. Uh, Africa is producing talent, but uh, I mean, we need to massify the production of talent and talent entrepreneur, because the reality is our entrepreneur are still for a large majority, survivor entrepreneurs. They 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 are entrepreneur because they cannot find job. I mean, they are not talent entrepreneur with real ideas, value creation approach. And this is what is really missing. And I think that we need to definitely work on tricky let's say uh, drivers that can really change the thing is one of course upgrading engineering education as i said we need the massification of uh, high value added talent pool uh, and uh, with the let's say uh, entrepreneurial spirit to really enable uh, leapfrogging of tech in africa So this is the first thing for me. The second thing is promote R&D and bridges between universities and private sector to make sure that promote this technology transfer from university labs to private uh, companies. And also, uh, as Philip mentioned, also all the let's say the uh, implementation of a regulatory framework favorable to innovation and uh, to investment. So these are. Uh, I mean, key elements that we can discuss. Uh, we, 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 are, we have these talents, but we need to promote these talents to make sure that they can be value creating for this uh, for our continent, and able to generate jobs and uh, value for for us.
0: And I, I want to talk about that interplay, uh, Philip. Please
1: please go ahead. No, seeing, I totally agree with I totally agree with Mariam, right? Uh, and 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 just and uh, talking about that skill pipeline. Uh, uh, more or less, and something that we are increasingly looking at Thunderbird is disrupting the model of education. It has to be disrupted. Uh, is to understand, as, as I said, uh, our median age is 19.7. We are largely an informal economy, about 85%, uh, which is both young people and women. And so if you look at the current frame of education, and our largest base of the economy, there's a mismatch. So we, we produce mostly people for the formal economy, yet our, our economy is informal. And, and, and during that informality, that's where the entrepreneurship opportunity is. Even the large companies are basically looking at the bottom of the pyramid to scale their products. So I think for me is how do you ensure that um, our, our formal systems of education are also responsive to a market that is largely informal? because that's where the scale is. And when, when Mariam is talking about scale, that's where the majority is. So, I mean, I totally agree. So it means institutions of learning like us have to rethink, I, I, I think, our model, how we, how we scale, but also how we credential and therefore how we disrupt um, policy in terms of policy understanding. If you want to increase your tax base, that's where you need to look at. But then how do you then create that environment that uh, encourages innovation and doesn't stifle it? The current environment stifles it
0: how do we accelerate that though because I I feel like we're we're so rapidly running out of time with all of the issues that I mean on a global level and certainly on this continent as well um, and I, I gather that the laughter, Philip, is because uh, policymakers notoriously spend a lot of time thinking, right? The think tanks. You spend a lot of time thinking. So, so how, how do we get that, that thinking into, into more urgent action? I mean, reading um, the digital transformation strategy for Africa as put out by the AU, they have a literal SWOT analysis, right? You back to business school, even, you know, you don't have to be into business school to do a SWOT analysis. And they have as a plus the fact that most African countries have ICT policies. As as a weakness, they have the fact that none of those, well, I'm going to be hyperbolic and exaggerate, they don't say that none, but a lot of those African countries are not talking to each other. Those policies are not necessarily integrated. So great to have a perfect framework within your own um, country and perhaps even region at a push, but it's not been integrated. And so the same goes for business schools. Uh, for, for educational institutions. When these policies are created, are we really fostering the environment for cooperation?
1: I can jump on that, <laughs> if that's coming to me. So I think a couple of things. One is that, and, and, and this is perhaps, I say it is a blessing and a curse. Um, I've advised at the Africa Union, and, but also I've advised at, at national level. So the problem is a lot of these policies are not homegrown. Let's just be very clear. Uh, And we know context, it's strategy for breakfast. That's something that we all know, right? So um, we need to, yes, look at at the global of where we're going, but then be very realistic in terms of developing um, environments that are very context specific and work for us. And we've seen in instances where this has happened, there's been some relative interesting things around it. So for example, I always mention this of a used example of Kenya and, and mobile money payments. Right. So this was very much homegrown, inbuilt, response responding to a clear issue. Right. So if if we, for example, were to adopt a, a, a mobile or a payment model that was global, we'll have adopted credit cards. But credit cards are not relevant. So you have, and therefore you have a policy that is very nice on the shelf, but impractical to implement. So my sense, and this is what I continuously advise, is can you develop a technology, not an ICT policy, a technology policy that is overarching and that is responsive to your context. And that is, you can still modernize. You really don't have to westernize. And this is why I see schools, business schools coming in to say, listen, how do we co-create this with government? And that's a big word that I continuously use many times. I think tank can do it, but it's, it's different when an institution of learning is doing it. But then collaborating with industry that is driving and leading this revolution, and therefore then finding out how policies then ensure inclusivity, this is how you scale. Right now, we do things in our own little cocoons.
0: Kazito, I'd like you to pick up on there as as a MBA, you know, business school graduate, and, and versus what you're seeing in the real world, working with 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 students and these various entrepreneurship ventures. Have you been able to find a path uh, to, to greater scaling, taking knowledge and the, the knowledge that is necessary to the people and the students that you work with?
2: Um, usually, I don't say it loud that I haven't here. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, over the years, it's just become one of those things. But I shouldn't take away the, the, the hard work of the lecturers, of the teachers, of my peers, and the brainstorming ex- exchanges that we had. And I think over the years also um, what I currently see or what um, looking back in hindsight, you see that a lot of the learnings that we did then, um, um, is it relevant for today? Um, is it relevant for what I do every day today? I'm not sure. Um, and I think I gain more knowledge uh, by talking to my peers, by having those sessions where we brainstorm where we solve challenges and so on. But in classroom learning, I would say that I um, gained little to none in those, in those processes. I think I did it to pass my exams and so on, but the more learning came from engaging uh, various colleagues in class and brainstorming on an issue and solving certain challenges, which was still part of the curriculum, part of the models in the MBA. So, so it was still necessary. And, but the key thing now will be, like Philip is saying how do we ensure that today's education look at homegrown solutions for the country for the community that you're in homegrown solution that also addresses issues in the industry in the country you're in you know and I think the same thing I will even bring in like the I wrote a piece I think three weeks ago based on uh, the appointment of the World Trade Organization director, and I was saying the Africa free continental free trade also needs to look at how will it work and how will we ensure that Africa integrates, uh, let's talk just physical policies, for instance, you know, if our fiscal policies are not even talking to each other, how do we achieve a free continental free trade. And it's the same in education, you know, if we're not talking about this, if we are not uh, uh, coming together to integrate some of these, some of these, it, it's, it's difficult to achieve. So I think the scaling aspects um, and building homegrown solutions is very important, even in education, especially in education and ensuring that young people have those required skills uh, for, their, for the market, you know.
0: I want to just acknowledge uh, there was a comment that came in from uh, Anna who says, uh, good morning everyone regarding education. I think informal education through radio, as it used to be in Africa, could help as well. Uh, First of all, to change the mindset in many parts of Africa, still uh, parents cannot afford to send kids to school and also uh, child work is still the issue. Uh, Thanks so much, uh, Anna, for that comment. Radio is certainly close to my heart and uh, to that point. I read a statistic that suggested three hundred million Africans stay fifty kilometers and more away from any kind of internet broadband uh, connection. So perhaps it is looking at some of the old ways of doing things in, in terms of transferring and relaying information. But Miriam, I, I want to—I know you—you you do a lot of work in in agriculture, um, in particular, and, and and that's certainly one area in which Africa should be leading has the opportunity to lead what are our biggest opportunities in in that sector and and where should we be be better perhaps focusing our energies uh, from an education point of view to really take advantage of agri-tech
3: yes i can share with you a very interesting investment that we have uh, in our portfolio here in Morocco. it's a Agritech dedicated to Africa. In fact, they are using uh, images, satellite images to improve, in fact, uh, the use of water, fertilizer and improve also the profitability and uh, the return of the agriculture business. And what we can see is that uh, it is something that is, I mean, it's something that is very interesting. You know, uh, usually the way we, we we look at technology and innovation is that we still continue to try to import, in fact, Western, uh, uh, in fact, uh, technologies that, which are let's say five to ten years uh, now old <laughs> technologies, to Africa, and it doesn't fit at all our context. And the reality is that we need African. Uh, technologies that fit completely the reality of our field. And this example is a great example because they are active in Morocco, in Tunisia, in Ethiopia, in Rwanda, in Senegal, so they can apply. And their real way of thinking and approach of the field is that they are, let's say, African compliant in their uh, approach and technology and using exactly uh, the, let's say, the, the infrastructure with the limitation of this infrastructure, digital infrastructure that we are talking about, but trying with this, in fact, they are able to find some, uh, let's say, uh, uh, productivity uh, pools and productivity uh, uh, pockets uh, for our uh, agriculture. And what we are looking with them is that, what we need uh, is we we put them in contact with major, uh, let's say, um, agriculture ministries, uh, both in Morocco, but also in other regions in Africa, to make sure that we can have access to this kind of technologies. It's not uh, in terms of price expensive uh, technologies, but it's a really game changers for agriculture and even small farmers. And this is very important for us, how we can using these talents because this, this, uh, they are both of them two co-founders, uh, 30 years old, uh, educated in Europe. Uh, I mean, uh, they have uh, finally. We, I'm happy to have they have African funding rather than European and US funding. But uh, it was a competitive and tough competition to 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 get them on the bo- on the board. But today, they are happy to have. I mean, an African investors targeting African. Uh, markets and using, in fact, this technology for impact in, in terms of communities. So I think that not only in agri-tech, we can find exactly the same in fintech, for example. I think that we have we have a lot of things to do around fintech for, for more inclusion and, uh, I mean, Africa can be a really uh, let's say uh, uh, an example and reference uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, fintech. And every day I'm seeing a lot of innovation around this. And once again, it's not a copy paste of uh, what has been done five or 10 years ago, but it's really our own DNA. And this is the most important thing. And if you can see on our portfolio and the companies that we are looking on, uh, right now. It's exactly the same. So uh, and uh, maybe one thing that is very important for entrepreneurship and um, I want to add something on this because when you look the, to uh, to the entrepreneur, we need to hear our entrepreneurs and, uh, and what they have, their pain points, call it this way, is access to markets, access to talents and access to financing. So, three key things that they always say. I will add something that they are not completely aware is really access to training because, I mean, we, 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 we didn't train today in our education system entrepreneur. We train someone who will go to informal economy or who will go to a salary job, being an employee, but with not this uh, entrepreneurial spirit. And this is very, very important for us, just to change our our economies and make sure that this innovation and this entrepreneur can really contribute to our developments.
0: And where, Miriam, are you finding, uh, if it is you know one specific sector more than others? where you're finding people willing to train, whether it's mentors or when you're interacting with these various governments, are people being as receptive as they should
3: be? Yes, definitely. In fact, in, to be honest today, everyone understand that entrepreneurship and value creation Uh, from this entrepreneurship is key for, it's a survival issue for all our economies, just to make things clear. When you look at uh, all the young people arriving through the market uh, job market every year with what our economies are able to create in terms of job, I mean, the gap is huge. So you need definitely to change the mindset and the way you you are approaching all our uh, development issue. And uh, in fact, on this, when we invest in, uh, in, uh, in these talents, what is important, we, we find these talents. I mean, we have these talents either locally or the diaspora. We have a, a fantastic pool of talented entrepreneurs in, in the diaspora. If we are able just to attract part of them, uh, to make sure that they can create or generate even a minor part of their value creation in our continent and to be part of their fantastic journey, it will be great for our continent. And this is exactly what we are doing. But what is very important is the way we invest is completely different from what will be the case in, in US or in Europe, because in fact just forget this uh, Silicon Valley style <laughs> of investment because it's not true. It doesn't fit well again our, with our economies. The reality is that our entrepreneurs need active investors who are able to network to, uh, for them to open doors, but also to lobby. And it's very, very important in terms of regulation to make sure that they have the right contacts at the public levels and making sure that their voice are heard and it's uh, they need access to expertise technical assistance instruments non-dilutive instruments some grants this is very very important and to create this ecosystem so Our job is, I mean, we can call this VC, but for me, it's African VC. It's completely different from the rest of the VC. And uh, as long as we are not able to understand this, we will not be able to to demonstrate all the potential of our uh, entrepreneurs in Africa.
2: And I think- Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead, please, Casito. Sorry, Rob, I actually wanna add something uh, to what Miriam said. I think another key thing will be social behavioral skills you know and I think um, more and more it's not just acquiring these digital skills but Miriam also put it nice to say sometimes they need mentors that will tell them how do you do certain things and so on you know and I think more and more the future of work relies on on the social behavioral skills coupled with the digital skills also to be able to 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 actually compete in the workplace
1: Cool. uh just a slight addition into this. So I think a couple of things, and it's good that you mentioned agriculture, this is something that we're working on uh, in the region. One I think is, is basically, uh, as we know um, uh, agriculture, we are talking about we are calling it food systems, basically because basically that's what you need to look at, right? So if you look at food systems for sure, then we have to attract young people within this space. It is for sure one of the areas that has potential for massive growth. And transformation for the continent. So one is mindset, thinking of it not just agriculture but food systems and therefore understanding that our institutions of learning need to need to skill for food systems, not for agriculture where young people do not want to be and we know culturally what agriculture means. <laughs> Secondly, um, the age again, uh, majority of farmers in Africa are plus 57 years old. Um, so basically retirees, so agriculture is never considered uh, a space for anything. So basically is how do we then co-create this intergenerational dialogue? Yes, as much as we have uh, older people being farmers because they own land, you still have young people who can fit or can modernize food systems. Also plug in whether it's inputs, um, bringing technology innovation, like Miriam has mentioned, you should have said like data, they can use s- smartphones quickly. To, for example, plug in this gap of extension, reduce risk, create insurance, yeah, issues. The, 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 third P, the third bit, even beyond skill and upskilling, we know for sure the challenge of the continent is a lot, of, a lot of these entrepreneurs do not have credentials. They don't have it. They don't have university degrees. A lot of them are just bootstrapping. So how do we ensure that we eliminate that barrier and create avenues within which you can stack credentials so that we can make them attractive to people like Miriam? Right? Because at some point, we need a different form of investment. Uh, Increasingly in our region, we are calling it patient capital. It needs to be patient uh, because our innovators as much as possible are solving problems. These are not vanity. We're not trying to go to the moon. We are trying to feed people. (laughs) We we are trying, so, so, and, and this is the difference in Africa of what people are seeing. So it may not necessarily be profitable in the short run, but with patient capital, it will be profitable in the long run. We need people who are staying, not touch and goes.
0: I mean, there's so much to pick up on there, but Miriam, I wanna pick up on the, on, the, on the credential nature of things. When you're looking from, from your vantage point, how much does the credential, the piece of paper uh, matter when individuals come to you with their, their, their ideas and their plans and their, their innovator innovations?
3: We are investors in what we call pre-series A, series A, in uh, here. So it, our tickets are large tickets. Uh, I mean, uh, but we are extremely involved in everything related to the seed and pre-seed parts because it's our future pipeline. So we are trying to upgrade this uh, this pool of entrepreneurs to make sure that they are eligible for our investment in the coming day. But if you can look at our entrepreneur, we are. Uh, After two years of uh, investments in 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 uh, in uh, in Morocco for us uh, for for innovation, what is very important to keep in mind is that uh, we have some common patterns between these entrepreneurs. We have sophisticated entrepreneurs, extremely well educated. I mean, it's an elite, just to make things clear. But what we are waiting for. From this elite. I mean, they they have extremely strong uh, uh, education uh, background uh, in uh, in uh, Western uh, universities and very elite universities. But the the thing which is very important is that when we invest, in fact, in these startups and these uh, entrepreneurs, they bring and upgrade with them their own uh, ecosystem with uh, upgrading other entrepreneurs that are probably less sophisticated in terms of education than the one uh, we are investing directly. So it's indirect impact uh, on, on, on this population. And I agree with you, Philip. the real issue today is that to have these people, these entrepreneurs who are, let's say, the large and the majority of entrepreneurs being able to access to this kind of fin- financing, because it's not just financing its support, its expertise, it's really upgrading this entrepreneur. And uh, to to be able to have this, the barrier to entry seems high and extremely uh, difficult. We have screened more than 700 opportunities to invest in six. I mean, it gives you how uh, demanding uh, in terms of criteria we are. But keep in mind that it's I mean it's not just this it's but you are creating some models you are creating some success stories hopefully that can inspire others and make sure that entrepreneurship is not just uh, the plan b because i didn't find a job uh, but really a real plan b and the life project and this is completely different and because we are starting to be honest from almost zero. So we can just improve our situation. This is the good news. <laughs> but let's make sure that, that we our job is going to the right this direction. And this is the I think the most important thing for us and for our entrepreneur so philip sorry I, I, my 100 of my entrepreneur in the portfolio are extremely well educated uh, all uh, with ex- exceptional <laughs> credentials but i mean this is the i mean we, we should start no, somewhere sure. we, we should start somewhere
1: yeah and, 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 and that's the point right because if you look at what rob was saying is how do we scale right how do we create the numbers and, and so I think for me, yes, we need the unicorns because we need the trailblazers uh, because uh, Africa is not homogenous one, but also the sectors are many. So we need those stars, but at the same time, we need to create a pipeline for the masses. I, I think for me, that's that's now where then, how, how do we as, as, as basically integrators, because I see people like us, uh, business schools and institutions of learning as integrators, because we can create that neutral platform that creates reason and logic, because for me, um, you can only do so far, and, and, and God bless, Miriam, you're trying, right? You, 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 you still need people who believe and can take the risk, but then you still need public policy to also rethink of how they can invest this, how, how they can realign their resources, and that's something we are cracking our heads around, because ultimately, the only institution that has potential to scale, let's be honest, in Africa, is government. So then how do we leverage on that, collaborating with the people like you to be able to unlock those massive potentials? It has to be a, collab- a co-creation.
3: I agree 100%. And it's a real frustration for me not be able to invest in the whole 700 companies and entrepreneurs that I haven't seen. But the other way to do it because uh, we still have fund uh, I mean investment fund and we have investors and we need to to reach to have returns and high return that they are expecting so we continue to invest in the continent and innovation. But uh, the other way that we can act uh, and you are completely right is through let's say my my participation at, at the private sector uh, representative forum and what we built over the last uh, let's say 4 years is a very interesting approach uh, which is an initiative of the private sector we call this uh, academy des entrepreneurs entre, uh, entrepreneur academy entrepreneurship academy which is in fact uh, a digital as well as a physical uh, academy Uh, bringing four main things to to entrepreneur, whatever the level of sophistication and maturity of this entrepreneur, even whatever the language, whether it is Arabic uh, or uh, French or even English, but four key services that is very important and the digital version will be available in the coming months. One is information. in fact, uh, the entrepreneur have no access to information and it's very important. They don't have access to the, instruments available to help them or even you know all the programs available and uh, uh, actors of the ecosystem that can be really uh, so uh, enabling this access to innovation uh, to information and to massified information in different kind of content uh, uh, information uh, style a format and this kind of thing so information second thing is training so training around workshop on specific issues but also Easy training. Uh, I mean, uh, expert uh, uh, intervention, whether a podcast or a, v- a video or these kind of things, the things like that, that, easy to digest, and where they can you can upgrade, upgrade the, the, the the entrepreneur. The third thing is everything related to. Uh, support access to expertise access to mentor which is very important and the last thing is access to market and access to market trying to build bridges between big corporates and uh, small companies smes and very very small companies also which is the high majority and this is how we can and this project is uh, in a public-private partnership where in fact uh, the government moroccan government is providing space so we have 6000 square meter that we are we will uh, o- organizing around entrepreneurship to make sure that everything which is needed one stop shop everything which is needed by the, entrep- the the entrepreneur you can find it in one place either digitally or physically and it is very important with this kind of uh, very uh, important programs you can bring all the parties that they want to contribute because you have a lot of big corporates but even some government agencies that they are saying okay i want to contribute but i don't, don't know how and even international i mean uh, we are supported by the european union for this program uh, as well as the african bank of development so it's it's very important to to bring all these guys and uh, uh, and around the table and to have a kind of locomotive where they can they can uh, they, they can contribute and help entrepreneurship around something which is uh, in a PPP uh, framework, and it's it's uh, very important. So I'm trying to help the <laughs> the 600 <line laughs> 90 uh, other that I have not financed. <laughs>
0: uh, Kizito, you are, you know, working with 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 youth younger people within the, I know, the South African context, and I was getting a bit concerned earlier, I thought perhaps the power utility was about to, to crash your system because in South Africa, we're experiencing uh, load shedding, which is of course the, the very polite term to say that there's not enough power being generated and you're going to get cut off. Um, and just being told <laughs> we're going to have to endure that for the next five years is, I mean, just another barrier of uh, preventing uh, productivity and, and really hammering the economy as it is, but that's an aside. I guess, Uh, Kazita, as part of, you know, the information necessary, knowing where to go, uh, access to funding, the entrepreneurs that you're dealing with, are they also, as Miriam alluded to, a lot of these entrepreneurs on the continent are in it for survival um, versus in it to innovate we're here because this is you know this is fun this is it's work but it's fun we're wanting to change systems we wanting to change the continent uh, where along those spectrum are the people that you're working with and and what kind of tools are you able to provide them at the level that you're working with them on
2: yeah thanks very thanks very much rob i think um we we have it in two ways so some of them are opportunity driven some of them also necessity driven you know I think also sometimes in the necessity driven, there comes opportunity in the process. And I think a majority of the entrepreneurs, um, even during this time of COVID last year, a lot of people working in corporates have lost their jobs and they have to make plans. They have to necessitate during this period to see where where are the opportunities for them to really feed their families and do other things. And I think for for us, um, so our entrepreneurs are in these two angles, but The key thing for us also um, access to to mentorship. And I think um, there is something in in learning that focuses on practical learning instead of having those theoretical understanding. And I think within our space, what we focus on is how do we ensure that our startups have the practical tools to be able to start their business, to be able to solve the daily challenges, to be able to actually hunt through various loops to be able to see your businesses forward. And access to finance is also very critical um, um, because also, um, I mean, in South Africa, you are here, you know, we have various funding mechanisms from our side. We have relationships with VCs, PEs and so on. we similar to your Miriam's where we go to knock on their doors to say, please support startups. And they look for all those things that you ask and they look for, do they have MBAs and so on and so on but and and what and are the experience also in the industry that they've been in. And then access to infrastructure is also very important for those startups. Currently, we've also seen a drop even with number of startups in the space. Um, I mean, previously we used to be around 80% full in the space, but currently it's around 40, 50 or so, because more people are opting to work from home. But access to infrastructure still remains critical. You talked of the electricity, and so on, and even in Africa, you will see that um, we have—I think it's 25% penetration on the internet, and then for 3% in electricity compared to like 8-7% globally. We, uh, so, so all of these are still critical for startups to really uh, start and scale, and we try as much as possible our best to be able to provide those support structures to our to our startups.
0: I want to. Uh... Just acknowledge a few. Uh, there's so much going on in the chat that I'm not going to be able to uh, keep up. What well, I want to say, thank you to everyone for posting questions and comments. Another one from Anna who says, uh, Smart specialization policy may be the answer to how to unlock the massive potential of talent across Africa. Uh, I recently published uh, challenges of the agribusiness sector in Kenya and opportunities from smart specialization policies. Thanks for that, Anna. And if you have a link to, to what you've published, you're more than welcome uh, to share that in the chat with us uh, as well. Um, Philip, on this point, and this is perhaps where, and and I should have pointed out right at the start, but in case it hasn't been clear, even though we're the global business school network, we have no sacred cows about uh, MBAs and that's the way to go, or, or, you know, this is why we're here. This is why we're having those conversations. But we're currently, as GBSN, working on a pilot program with uh, one of our other corporate partners in DPDHL, which is looking to pair graduate business school students with entrepreneurs and, and SMEs on the continent and creating that kind of mutually, uh, a, a mutual environment where the students are learning and hopefully a lot being imparted from the SME and entrepreneur onto the student, but also the student bringing some of their kind of more theoretical uh, learning into that space and, and, and creating hopefully what is a, the, the perfect kind of gel. So those kind of experiential learning opportunities surely as business schools um, on the continent, but even outside of the continent, we should, should be doing a lot more than than we currently are to make sure there's that cross-pollination, so it's not just about bringing someone through the business school process and they go on to be entrepreneurs, but using people who are existing in, this, in the in the informal sector, perhaps, and pairing them up with these students who have the privilege, as it currently is, to, to go to business school.
1: I totally agree, and and this is something that we've been experimenting as standard. But the the, the, the the potential, the potential I think thing that we need to co-create, and this is the thing that I'm thinking through this conversation, is remember not no one sector, as as Anna mentions in this triple helix approach, right, can develop without the other sectors understanding this new development. Um, we need to think through also how do we, for example, we have these global consulting labs that we that we actually put and we've ramped that up for, for, for the African continent in terms of trying to get our people to understand working in teams. Entrepreneurs do not necessarily work in teams. <laughs> so how do we bring in that culture of working in teams? The second piece is how do they build successful businesses? Good to be an entrepreneur, but you need to build a business. And we know the future will be uh, exponential companies, right? Small in number, uh, blue chip companies in, uh, in output. But then how do we ensure that we can also do the same for public sector? How do we embed the same people from business schools into public sector? Because also we are seeing the public sector also needs need to be like startups. Let's be honest, African governments don't have a lot of money, <laughs> but then how do we also begin to think through embedding the same in public sector? So that also the public sector, especially public sector uh, ministries that are responsible for industrialization and where small and medium enterprises are entrepreneurship entrepreneurs are, so that they can understand this. And I think we're doing something like that with the, with the World Economic Forum, I'll post the link. We are ambitious enough to think about hundred million SMEs by 2030. It has to be that number, it can be less, but then also ensure that you are embedding the same logic within public sector, but also within private companies. We realize that companies are not necessarily thinking in entrepreneurship, yet, yet they're being disrupted uh, globally.
0: Convers- finding my mute button. Uh, Miriam, Miriam is a, there's a question from uh, who says it's always exciting to note that there are entrepreneurship hubs in African cities that offer one stop shop services and experiences. Uh, Two part question is who drove the initiative to set up the hub that you're you're involved with that you mentioned, and how and where the partners encouraged to sit around the same uh, table.
3: Uh, I think that we the, the initiative is uh, the private sector initiative we come from CSJM which is uh, the private sector representative in here in Morocco and uh, what is very important it is to have an non partner who is trying to make some to 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 create let's say a dynamic approach of everything related to this uh, entrepreneurship and so we we bring this project uh, four or five years ago to the government to have their uh, their uh, contribution which was the case in fact they are looking for let's say alternative approach of how we they can promote entrepreneurship and how they can just also find another way to educate this uh, this uh, this entrepreneur so the idea came from the private sector uh, but uh, it's also important to have other all the other partners as i said in universities, very important partners, international institution, extremely important, uh, and government, of course, because, I mean, without an efficient uh, legal framework, I mean, there is no need to to do anything So we definitely need, finally, this legal framework to be able to convert uh, all this initiative into real impact uh, and job creation for our economies. So this is how it comes. So I, it starts with the concept note of two pages. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I spent one year explaining all this to everyone. And finally, I have found uh, some, uh, some, someone with uh, who was like, it seems interesting what you are saying. So let's try this. So from this, I think that we, we, it's, it's easy to attract people around the subjects related to entrepreneurship, what is important is to find alternative and interesting projects that we can uh, support.
2: And so, we, well, actually, yeah, go ahead, yeah. I want to say something just contributing to what you asked, Philip, and what Philip also said. Yes. Um, over twenty nineteen, I think we didn't do it well last year because of COVID. Twenty nineteen, we started exploring. Leveraging graduates from business school. So we started working with Gordon Institute of Business Science, University of Pretoria. Leveraging some of their students to come and work with our startups. and the collaboration was really great. We did it twice with some cohorts of startups and we wanted now to scale it before COVID happened. But one thing we noticed from that arrangement is um, we developed a model now that's called mentor driven capital model where you see all these MBA students, some of them are CEOs and companies and so on. And, and we noticed that actually, they don't just give knowledge. We also noticed that at some time, there was an exchange of capital within that relationship that was just developed from a school perspective where they came to meet our startups and work with them. So more and more, I think, we also need to think of how could not just the business school, but from a private sector perspective, the senior executives working with startups handling hacking challenges, solving those challenges, because from there, there is opportunity, there could be opportunity for capital to also flow directly towards the startups, thereby building what I what could be an angel, angel network also in, the, in that process.
0: I, that's great. Thanks so much for sharing that. And, uh, Gibb's also uh, members of, of of GBSN, so useful to uh, to know that, that more good is being done within the network and the membership. Uh, I'm very re- uh, mindful of time and want to be respectful of everyone's time, so we have about three minutes left. And so I want to do a, a, a whip around the room and ask each of you, Miriam, um, uh, I'll start with you for... What are you most optimistic about when you think of Africa's talent and the pool of, of, of talent that we have access to and growing that talent for the future of Africa? What, what makes you most excited and what are you most optimistic about, Really, Hopefully, end, end on an optimistic note. <laughs>
3: Uh, You know, I I, I always uh, said something very important. It's in French, but I will try to translate it. Uh, Every time when I feel a little bit, uh, I mean, uh, sad uh, towards all the challenges that we have to face (laughs) every day, I I, I, I remember or I have a discussion with one of my entrepreneurs in my portfolio. And in fact, they are all young, Uh, they they have a lot of ambitions. And they believe in, in, they have a vision more than that. I mean, they are not looking just for money. They, they they want to have impact. They want to contribute and to be a game changer for the whole continent. And it's very important because this new kind of entrepreneur 2.0 is not driven by, by just money. They are driven also by impact. And this is very important. Uh, for us and each time i'm feeling a little bit depressed uh, i i discuss with them and i remember this and it's we have a very strong generation that we need to support they, they 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 we we need to support them and they they deserve it i mean when you invest in them you can find really very uh, uh, important and positive impact, not only for the entrepreneur, but also for for the environment and communities. So, I think that uh, the best thing that is positive is our talents. Even if we have still a lot of work to do, but these young talents that will probably come some models for the rest of the entrepreneur in the region are very important for us and are the the let's say the most uh, best asset that we can have. Uh, as a continent.
0: Perfect. Kazito, I'll come to you next. Within the framework of powering digital transformation on the continent and the talent that Africa needs and, and has, and that we need to inculcate, how do we, how do, we do that? What okay. makes you optimistic?
2: So, so I think the digital skills sector is, uh, is maturing. And I think we need from uh, from the stakeholders, from various agents of socialization to leverage the opportunity from a private sector perspective for them to really invest in more skills that will help them meet the demand in their, in, their, in their industries. From a government perspective also, for, their, for, for them to have a rethink on some policy aspects that will help drive digital transformation. And then from the education, from your world, the education fraternity, I think it's important to look at the future of education and not just what we teach, but also how we teach it where we teach it and how it's being taught is so important for the future of uh, for the future of Africa, for the future of young people, but also in building the digital skills that we need to address Africa's uh, demand uh, in, in the workplace.
0: It's so valuable what, where, and how we teach these things, Philip.
1: You have the last word. <laughs> no, I think I, I think for me, and I was an entrepreneur once. I think the first thing I see is agility. And, and if anything has taught us is during COVID-19. We've seen our entrepreneurs with, even with a world that has been broken, have been able to, 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 to build solutions to, to try to respond to COVID-19, you know, despite the numerous odds that they face. So that makes me hopeful. The, the second piece of course is the imagination. I mean, the, 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 the innovations we are seeing in the continent are amazing and for me the the third piece around this it speaks it speaks to a resiliency that is very african Uh, and that is something that i think is just requires us as people who are in business schools but also as people who are within the ecosystem in terms of whether it's knowledge capacity resources to try to understand what they need and not how we perceive they should be Uh, and and that for me i think is is where we get it wrong so how do we how do we build an ecosystem of co-creation that basically uh, understands entrepreneurs, what they need and and, and what they require from us to enable them aspire and, and be who they are because I believe our future lies in their hands.
0: Fantastic, I, I can't thank you all enough, for all of your wonderful words and, and insight. And Miriam has just dropped into the panelist chat and said, the innovation in our continent is not a nice to have, but a must have. And I think uh, that's certainly something we can all uh, concur on. Uh, thank you so much for spending the hour with us, uh, the preparation, uh, the time, the effort, and just your your beautiful minds and brains that you put into the session. I really appreciate it, Gazito, Philip, and, and Miriam. Thank you so very much uh, for all of your efforts. For more on our Talent for Africa forum with Ecobank Academy, visit gbsn.org slash talent And that's the numerical four. Please remember to click and subscribe to the podcast and feel free to rate us if you've enjoyed listening. Until next time, take care.